I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, I've just done something and I can't take it back. Oh no, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna tell my husband. <gasps> but you don't even know what you've done. No, had no idea. I knew that I had said yes to Jesus, but I had no idea what that actually meant. Mary was away and I'm sitting here thinking, oh no, what am I gonna do? So for two weeks, I had to wait until Mary came home. And then I said, I think I've done something and I just need to talk to you about it. <laughs> think. I think I've become a Christian while you've been away and I feel nauseated. <laughs> it was really weird. Hello and welcome. I'm Tanya Reason and this is The Gospel According to Mum, the show where we discuss the transformational work done in us by Jesus Christ as we live out motherhood and discipleship with Him. My guest today is Juanita Webb. Juanita is a mother with over 25 years' experience. She's a Queenslander born and bred, a nurse, and has served her church as an administrator with a heart for community care. In part one of this episode, we hear Juanita's story from her first dynamic personal encounter with Jesus after her first child was born, through to another bombshell moment in her life when she was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer and a life expectancy without treatment of mere weeks. Her diagnosis was delivered with the same startling suddenness, and we discuss the initial impact of that on her faith and family. Hi Juanita, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you Tanya, it's lovely to be here. It's oh. been a long time coming, I'm very excited to share Yeah, oh, I'm really looking forward to your story. There's such a lot to get into. Mm. So the way we've been doing it, and I think it's probably good to, to keep going in that way, is to first get a sense of where you were in your faith before you became a mother. A little bit, you know, you've, you've had a, a childhood history with church and Sunday school, so maybe yeah. we just start there. Yeah, so I uh, went to uh, a church, never really knew who Jesus was. Um, it was all of the, the normal things. Mum would take us as children and there was Sunday school and then there was youth group, which didn't really thrill me. Um, and so as I, my teenage years went, I never pursued um, that faith journey. And then got married, had my first daughter, I was 28 years old, we'd been married six years and had met a girl through work who was a churchgoer and we just spent a lot of time together and she was just a really lovely lady, we were good friends. But I came to faith through I guess her associational introduction into what church life was. Mm -hmm. I don't know that at that stage I really knew who Jesus was or how I fitted with God. I actually don't quite remember that. So yeah. it's very difficult to actually remember what I felt like back then. Yeah, of course. I remember though that it was a very personal relationship with Jesus. So mm -hmm. Mary was overseas and she was doing some missionary work with uh, women in Afghanistan doing midwifery. And, um, so she had left my workplace and gone off elsewhere. And I was going off to work as I normally do and came to a roundabout, stopped, and, and I heard an audible voice going, before you get to the other side of the roundabout, what's your answer? And I was just like, I don't know, I didn't ask a question. And so not having known what it was, but really intrigued by this voice mm -hmm. and I'm like oh and the sun was rising like it was just a, a very picturesque I was the only one in the car and I was on one side of the roundabout I had to get to the other side and before I got to the other side I had to get this answer and I thought okay so I said oh okay then yes I'll say yes and so I just ventured through and got to work and this mulled with me for about two weeks it was like signing a contract with no cooling off period wow. <laughs> it was really weird I felt quite nauseated I'm like oh my gosh I'm like I've just done something and I can't take it back oh no what am I going to do what am I going to tell my husband <gasps> but you don't even know what you've done no had no idea 
I knew that I had said yes to Jesus, but I had no idea what that actually meant. Mary was away and I'm sitting here thinking, oh no, what am I gonna do? So for two weeks, I had to wait until Mary came home. And then I said, I think I've done something and I just need to talk to you about it. And she says, I think, I think I've become a Christian while you've been away and I feel nauseated. <laughs> it was really weird uh, because yeah. I probably was not really connected in with the church hmm. as such. And having a little girl and then um, a husband that didn't have the same faith journey or wasn't on the same faith journey as I was. Mm. And so making this big decision with zero witnesses, with no real foundational knowledge as an adult of, mm. of who this Christ was and what that actually means for me. But uh, that was the beginning of the best part of my life. That's fascinating. Mm. So was it important for you to have a witness of what you'd done or? Oh no, uh, the conviction was real. Like yeah. I just knew that it was undoable, whatever I had ad- accepted was absolutely undoable. Right. And isn't it interesting that when you usually sign a contract it's witnessed by somebody. Well this one was a verbal contract that was completely witnessed. unwitnessed. Yeah. Yeah. So well, just me and him. Yeah, yeah, just between you and him. Mm. That's right. Pretty That's, wild. Yes, it is. Mm. It is wild. Yeah. <laughs> and so you have a little baby at this point. I do. And yeah. I did. And you've had this event that's yes. happened. And then what was the next step from there? Mm. So Kayla was probably about 18 months old. You hadn't been going to church at this point. Oh, yes, I'd been attending. A, oh, had I? Yes, I probably had been going to Mary's. On a, on a regular on, sort of basis. Yeah, okay. I think so. Yeah. Because I remember taking baby in tow and thinking, okay. oh my goodness, this is getting complicated. It's very hard, hard work because it was away from my local environment. So right. I was traveling to where her church was. Okay. So I think when Mary came back and we had this conversation about what had transpired, mm-hmm. um, she suggested a discipleship course. Okay. And so she just worked one-on-one with me through this discipleship course. Mm-hmm. And it was very, I'm going to say antiquated in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were little like cartoon booklets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I really probably didn't get a lot out of that process. So my faith journey probably didn't really start solidly or independently for myself until I moved away from that church and moved to the church I go to now. Yeah. Um, and so that was where my faith journey probably was consolidated and really connected in well with the with the, the church life and the process of discipleship and mission and you know learning more about the gospel and stuff like that right, yeah. mm. and okay. so then it just came from there and you just continued to grow just continued to grow right mm. so with your story we're going to fast forward a little bit mm. so around 2007 mm. you were diagnosed with stage 4 Burkitt's lymphoma and this was obviously you know a, a major event mm. in your life in your family life in your journey as a Christian before we get into the detail of all of that, I just want to ask you to look back, and this might be this might be an impossible question to answer, but before that happened, do you feel as if your journey through motherhood and all that that entails had in any way prepared you for this event that happened in 2007? No. Completely out of the blue. Yep. Yep. We have all the time in the world. I've got 10 hours, 12 hours in fact, <laughs> on this. 
so we can sit here for as long as you if it happens again okay caught me off guard actually because i usually talk about this stuff without too much um emotion but well it's because it's just you and me in a room and you know you're asking like, the right I'm questions. Asking. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, I think because I was never sick, you know, when you hear about people with cancer, you think about, you know, perhaps a preliminary illness that might have been a precursor to the investigations, but this was a very much a sudden kind of diagnosis, mm -hmm. and with that, there's no preparation time at all. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty much you hear the news, you've got to get started, there's no time to prepare anybody, including mm. myself, my husband, the kids, family, it's just like, okay, well, gee, so within, from day one to treatment time was four weeks. Right. So, um... Is that fast? I mean, do you feel like you were sort of propelled through that process quickly, or...? Absolutely, because we didn't really know what it was. So I had an inguinal lymph node that had become... Uh, enlarged and I only found it by happenstance I was mowing before we were going away for a long weekend mm -hmm. and I found it and I thought oh gee that's a bit unusual and went to the doctor and I don't know why I, like I think it was just a god thing that I actually even went yeah. because normally you'd get a lump and you go oh we'll see what happens but this well you're not constantly checking your body for lumps anyway are you, you know, no you just brush or something that's an unusual occurrence it is well I was just showering after mowing the lawn and I thought mm -hmm. oh it's a bit unusual it's in an odd spot and I yeah. thought to myself and and she thought it was reactive node she took some bloods and said well go and enjoy your weekend we'll see what the bloods come back to on next week and she said well the bloods are a little bit off um, so let's do a fine needle biopsy and so they did that and the first one came back as lymphatic tissue but inconclusive look sinister so it was then we could either repeat the fine needle biopsy or do a formal excision and biopsy so this lump by this stage was getting a little bit bigger a bit more uncomfortable right where your legs bend so i went and had it uh, a surgical consult and we decided to have it removed and frozen sectioned just to see what was happening mm. and it came back as um, suspicious of course mm. but even before it actually went to uh, pathology the surgeon even said I think it's a reactive node I think you've been you know messing around the garden or cat scratches and stuff okay. like that and I just knew by that stage that it wasn't um, so then it was you know prior to that it was MRIs and CTs and all mm. that kind of work up mm. But having it out was actually quite good because I thought, well, if it if it's out, then it's not going to be uncomfortable anymore, so that's a win. Yeah. And if it's out and it's nasty, then it's gone, which is great. So yeah. and then we'll just deal with that as we as we turn up. And interestingly, when I was back at the surgeons for the post-op follow-up, um, he was saying, giving us the diagnosis, and then so it must have been about seven or ten days post-op. And he was giving us a diagnosis and we were in the waiting room. My GP was ringing me saying, I've made this appointment for you to see your oncologist. Okay. Yeah, so it had all happened within and I got in there and the doctor was saying, I think we need to refer you to an oncologist. And I said, that's okay, my GP's just been on the phone. Just She's already sorted it out. And the timing was so quick that, again, I can only just, the hand of God was on the whole situation because I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to make decisions. It was all done for me and all very... Uh, straightforward and mm. then it was just visits in to have the follow-up going and getting the, the stuff all, all happening. Yeah well you'd said in your notes to me that you had felt you never as as aggressive as this cancer was you never had the sense that it was going to be the end. No no that's right um, when I was in the doctor's office at the oncologist we did ask him the question and I said well what if we don't have treatment and he said you have six weeks it's very aggressive. Right. 
I was like, oh, well, we better crack on then, hadn't we? <laughs> and so that, it really took the choice out of it, you know. I, it was, you know, as a nurse, you kind of weigh up your options, you know, and you hear about all the bad things about cancer and then you think, well, okay, hmm, what alternatives do I have? Can I sit on this? Can we take a tablet and let it, you know, but no, it wasn't one of those kind of cancers. Yeah. It had to be treated fairly quickly and aggressively. And and he apologised. He actually said, look, I'm really sorry. I'm going to have to make you really, really sick to make you better. Because at that stage, I wasn't sick. I had no symptoms. I had no fatigue. I had nothing to actually make me think that this was detrimental. But at stage four, it was quite significant. Mm. It had invaded upper lymph nodes and had gotten to my um, cerebral spinal fluid. Mm. So that, that's the fluid that surrounds the spinal cord and the brains. Yeah. So, um, and he discussed what the treatment plan would look like and it was pretty hairy. So, mm. Mm. Yeah, it was intense, wasn't it? It and, was very intense. And I mean, you said that he, he basically mm. said, I have to bring you to the brink of death. Mm. Which by the sounds of it, you already were. Mm. But this was a controlled... <laughs> It was, and that Propulsion. was yeah, yeah, and it was probably more when the stem cell transplant took place. So okay. it was seven months of chemotherapy treatment, so six cycles, two cycles a month, mm -hmm. um, and then on the seventh month, I got my own stem cells back, which was mm -hmm. that in itself was just another miracle that occurred. And there you go. So. Up to this point, what had motherhood looked like for you? Well, I had finished work. It was quite interesting. I had decided to take a break from nursing and the kids were young. Nathan was eight and Kayla was 12. And we were, I was working at the church as the admin officer and, um, and just doing, you know, the mum thing, doing pick up and drop off. And um, I would go to work for five hours and, and then we'd kind of rinse and repeat and that was working really well and then all of a sudden this happened it was just like what now okay yeah. and, and you were a hands-on mum you were yeah. you know really involved yeah and, yeah I had yeah. that opportunity to have that time with the kids that yeah. um which I hadn't even thought that was the issue I was just working really hard and and I think healthcare at the time I was getting working full-time and um just got a bit run down I suppose and just yeah. thought I'd take a break and and during that 18 months that I was off I, I think I must have had 12 months off or thereabouts and then started in the church the next year and and then the following one after that mm. Mm. So you described yourself actually um, as a control freak mm. absolutely all good mm. nurses are yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and as a mother as a control freak and I've heard other mothers refer to themselves in mm. this way and I think more and more I'm starting to that that term control freaks sounds more to me like a mother who recognises the importance of being involved in her children's lives. Mm. And I think it's less about controlling every, everything and, and more about just caring mm. so much about your children. You want to be with them mm. all the time and the understanding how important it is for you to be with them. Mm. But do you think it's the flip of that is also that it's really important for you as a person to be deeply involved in your children's lives and what you learn from that is is, a, is another level of development for you as a person. Yes, I think as a you know a shift worker, you never fully get a hundred percent with your kids anyway. Mm. You know they say become a nurse, shift work, so easy, so flexible, works in so well with family. Mm. Except that you're at work at seven and before school care doesn't open until six thirty. Right, yeah. um, you know you finish work at three thirty, school finishes at three. So the children, you're time with your children is not quite the same mm -hmm. um, being able to get short notice rosters for 
school events and stuff like that never work because you can't plan your roster at short notice. You have to be a month out and school doesn't always communicate that well. So I was never a very good school mum, but I was a, I think I was a pretty good mum. Mm -hmm. I tried to be the best mum I could, so yeah. Up to that point then, do you think that that helped you sort of identify what the priorities were? as a mother for you, what you valued most about being with your children? Did it give you an opportunity to do that or was it just take what you can get kind of thing? I think children a lot, and I'll speak about just my children because that's all I can. I've often asked them in hindsight, I don't know whether this is going to answer your question, but in hindsight I often have said to them, do you feel that you missed out? Like I wasn't there at every event and wasn't, and they always have said that they were really proud that I was a nurse and a working mum. Mm -hmm. They never felt that they were neglected or or not supported right. so my interpretation of what I thought makes a good mum mm. or a good school mum was not what my children had in hindsight reflected upon as, as if that was something that they missed out on yeah. but I used the opportunity while I was off or with my change of um, job season that I tried to engage more with the school things and I remember I did a painting thing with Kayla's grade seven and that was something that Kayla remembered so being able to have that time to go and invest in the kid and in their space was something that I found valuable. Mm. The reason I'm asking you all of this is because you said that when you started this treatment and it was it wasn't just oh, I'm going in for an appointment for an hour mm. was it it was it was sometimes days mm. weeks that you oh, were yeah. in hospital yeah and you you talk about missing some of the really big moments mm. in their life. What you perceived as being valuable at mm. that point and how that was changed by your circumstances. Mm. So Kayla was playing hockey. So, you know, even just the whole idea of going in on a Saturday morning, you know, to watch her play sports and be that support and cheer squad for her mm. was something that I didn't, as a nurse, I didn't work weekends, which was lovely. But I did find that I often had Terry, we would split, so Terry would drop me off at clinic and he would take Kayla to hockey and, and then Nathan would sometimes come with me, sometimes stay with Terry, so it all depended on what I, how the kids felt at the time. But I really missed that because then I had to find out what the replay was like, you know, and it's never the same when they're trying to relay the events of the, of the game plan and how it all went. I was getting some medicine in my tummy to help with my um, white cell count and so mm -hmm. even though I was at the hockey games I'd have to excuse myself go to the car shoot myself up right. <laughs> <laughs> in the car park and then go back yeah. um, but because it was so time dependent mm. so even that still meant I was prepared to do that if it meant that I could be there in that in the majority of the moment mm. probably one of the hardest ones was Kayla's graduation from year seven it was before the year six, seven went into high schools and, yeah. and because this treatment was from June through to November, she was getting ready for her graduation mm. and I was in hospital at the time for weeks and during the November was when I was getting my stem cell transplant. Mm. So one of my very lovely friends and her daughter and Kayla were very close and so they would take her shopping um, to find shoes and a dress and the bag and the matching jewellery mm. and where was I? I was stuck in bed. Stuck in isolation, <laughs> stuck in, <laughs> stuck in where I didn't want to be, and yeah. that I think it wasn't, it wasn't the control freak that that stepped in as much as it was FOMO. It was the missing out, and that somebody else got that beautiful moment. Yeah, yeah. 
that's that's the hard thing isn't it to to relinquish your moments with your children into someone else's care and I don't think that's a control free thing no. I think that is I think that's a mirror of of God actually and the gift that he gives us because it's it strikes me as I was reading through your notes you know people often talk about I would die for my children and we all go yes yes we would and and I know that's probably true if I saw a bus coming towards one of my kids I would just leave mm -hmm. it in front it would be stupid I'm not going to be able to stop a bus <laughs> but I wouldn't be thinking about living or dying I'd be no. thinking about protecting, protecting them that's oh. right but what struck me about this is what we're willing to suffer to stay with our children yes and I think that is you know, we, we think about Jesus on the cross. He died for us. But before that, he was here. God was here in the flesh mm -hmm. and suffered more than just the cross. I, I'm starting to see in my own life. Mm -hmm. He suffered for the entire time, I think, mm -hmm. with, with emotional suffering and all sorts of other things that, mm -hmm. that he must have been feeling just to look at us, you know, mm -hmm. in our broken way. Yeah. And But what he was willing to suffer just to stay with us. Mm -hmm. I think that that is God's gift to us as mothers. Yeah. The kind of because that only comes from love. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But they were very, you know, you miss out on that moment. But when you have a friend as dear as that, they came in with Kayla mm -hmm. and they got into the bathroom and changed her all up so that I could see what yeah. she looked uh, like. Yeah. Because it wasn't just missing the event for shopping, which is the fun aspect of doing that kind of stuff. It was actually the event itself. You know, you're only allowed to take one parent or, as a couple, take a parent into the graduation itself. Mm. And, and so I, I missed that whole thing. And I was like, oh, this is just messed up. Yeah. So unfair. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, isn't it amazing when the kindness of someone else, they, they, they sort of know what mm. you would have been feeling. Yeah. And so they go out of their way to send photos. Absolutely. And try and bring you Yeah, in. that's yeah. right. Yeah. So even from a distance, but... Um, but you know, and again, I have to, had to remind myself that Kayla's graduation was not mine. It was hers. It was her night. It was her, mm. her thing. I think just as mums, we want, we don't want to miss any of those things. Mm. You know, the, the mother-child bond. It's not to take it off them either. No, it's, it's just not. To see it's actually, it actually to enjoy it and help them remember because mm. as they grow and events are changing their lives, I think that they don't really remember the last one because the next mm. one is different and it's more it, it has a different importance placed upon them because they're making those choices for themselves mm. um, you know one is a rite of passage and or one that they're choosing for themselves and and so as they go through that the minor what they would consider a minor one and I think as a parent I think uh, as a mum I can remember those for them mm. so that I can say do you remember that beautiful green dress that you wore to your graduation the silver shoes yeah I think that's, that's definitely true of my mum she's the law keeper yeah. you know yeah. she remembers things from my past that I have no memory of whatsoever I think where did you pull that from that's you know? right <laughs> she, she knows yeah. names people times you know but Kayla remembers that and probably not because I wasn't there, but she remembers it because somebody else took her about the event of, of, and it, and it, I don't think she looks at it as though that I wasn't there. Mm. She looks at it as though somebody else was there with her. You know. Well, I think I think all things considered, yeah. if your children had a choice, 
yeah. between having mum with them now yeah. and going and having that treatment and having her just on that day. I, I know yeah. what they would choose because I know what I would choose. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. But did you find that there was provision with people? Did people come? Do you, oh. do you feel as if God had oh, set up support? Oh, my goodness. Honestly, do you know, when you, when you look back, there was nothing in that whole journey that we could have orchestrated as a human. Mm. Like, from the beginning of diagnosis like even like I said just going to actually having a lump check like how many times would you just go oh well it'll go away or I'll have a look at that if it's still mm. there in a month's time yeah, it's or, curious isn't you know, it? sometimes you just you don't know why you know but yeah you know. that's right you mm. just know and so then and then just the the organization of the the dates and the doctors and the time frames and the speed at which everything happened and then my church family like I don't know how it would have been if I was in a different church but you know working at the church was a casual job which meant that I had flexibility with appointment scheduling but the the women that rallied around us Mm -hmm. and men that rallied around us that supported our family was just thanks doesn't isn't even enough mm. you know like our freezers were bursting and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, people with dropping off cards and letters and and music and words of encouragement and their favorite verses and I'm praying for you and this is what God told me about it today and so much encouragement mm. yeah. and um, even school friends that would I'll pick up the kids They'll be at my place until you get home. Just drive through on your way through and pick them up. Yeah. They would feed them, you know, mm. like, like that comes at a great cost and sacrifice to those who are giving. Mm. And um, it's quite funny. At the church, I was, um, I love community care. And so the hamper ministry was part of the office mm-hmm. space. And people would come in and not pack up hampers and stuff like that. And... And I remember taking a hamper to one of our ladies um, who often was in need. And I remember driving home going, Lord, one day I hope I'm brave enough to ask for help if I need it. Because it's a real humbling to have to ask for help. And I didn't really have the opportunity. He just provided it. Yeah. Yeah. So it just came. I know. It's funny that you said that because it was actually a quote that I put up on the Gospel According to Mum just recently. It suddenly occurred to me, it was almost as if you spoke it before you did, that, you know, we all struggle. It was actually about Rachel Byard. We we both struggle, she and I, to ask for help. And Mm -hmm. it sounds as though you you had already identified a struggle there to ask for help. Yeah. Especially as a mum, and to ask for help with your children is almost impossible. Oh, exactly. But I had so many times, he helps... And I haven't even asked. Mm-hmm. And, and he does. He just gives it anyway. Even if he even gives you the choice to reject it. Yes. Which is yeah. so humble. How can we have a God who is so great and so, so humble at the same time? Yeah. It's amazing. It is. Thanks for listening today. You can find out more about the show, our guests, and subscribe and download through all our channels by visiting thegospelaccordingtomum.com. In part two of my conversation with Juanita, a picture of God's overwhelming desire to be with us is revealed as she shares the ways in which she continued to mother from a distance. In the meantime, be encouraged, friend, and remember the God who taught you to love will not leave you as you walk with him more and more at your own pace. I'm Tanya Reason, and you've been listening to The Gospel According to Mum.
Till next time.